The Lord God showed me a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, The end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass them by. You that trample on the needy, saying, When will the new moon be over and the Sabbath, so that we may offer wheat for sale? We will make the ephah small and the shekel great and practice deceit with false balances and selling the sweepings of the wheat. The Lord has sworn, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. The time is surely coming, says the Lord God, when I will send a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall run to and fro seeking the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. This is the word of the Lord. King David was able, by force of personality, to bring the 12 tribes back together. He built a new capital city on the border between the 10 northern ones and the two southern ones. Solomon was able to maintain that union. When Solomon died, his son Rehoboam was not nearly so capable, and the tribes split again. The 10 in the north would be called Israel. The two in the south would be called Judah. A hundred years after that, Ahab was horrible king in the north. He chose a pagan wife named Jezebel, and she brought into the royal residence all the gods and goddesses of fertility. A hundred years after that, Jeroboam was now king in the north. He erected two new worship centers, one up at Dan, the farthest most northern place where the beautiful waters bubble up to begin the Jordan River, both there and at Caesarea Philippi. We saw the ruins of that ancient uh, temple erected by Jeroboam um, all those years ago, about 2,750 years ago. And on the southernmost border of his ten tribes, he built a similar one at Bethel. And just outside those two beautiful new temples, he erected golden calves, the signs of the gods of fertility again. Amos lived in the south in Judah at a little nowhere place called Tekoa. He felt the call of God on his heart to leave his herds, to leave the Ficus sycamorus trees that he scored the fruit so that they would turn really sweet and wonderful. They ripen three, four times a year depending on the weather. And he went north to tell the country of Israel they were in real trouble. Scholars believe Amos only worked as a prophet maybe a year, maybe even less. He soon went back to Tekoa, became a herdsman and a dresser of these trees, Ficus sycamorus. The message for the north is also the message for us. Was he right? He was right. He didn't predict a day, a month, even a year. They had 38 more years. They didn't get it right in 722. The end came for them. Let's take a look. Number one, the Lord God, that means Yahweh Elohim, ask Amos, what do you see? I see a quaits, he said. It's translated for you and me, a basket of summer fruit. The rabbis translated a basket of figs. It really has no more relevance to the rest of this text except its name in Hebrew. What do you see? I see quetz. Well, it's quetz. Quetz means the end. You think you see quetz? No, you see quetz. This is the end for Israel. I will not pass them by anymore. 
To every person, to every city, state, country comes a judgment when we are not doing things God's way. Sometimes it's prolonged. Sometimes it comes much more quickly than we would like. A moment of judgment, a moment of decision. Will we make the right choice the next time? Will we make an even worse choice? Marcy Scyther has written about her husband, John, his younger brother, Steve. She said, my husband and his brother grew up in horrible conditions. They had an alcoholic father who cursed them and beat them. The mother finally had all of him she could take. He left. She married someone of the same ilk. He beat on these stepsons. He cursed them. He belittled them. When John got old enough, he joined the United States Marine Corps and went to serve his country. He got out of the Marines, met Marcy. They were married. He began a small construction business in California. Steve was nine years younger. He went through nine more horrible years. A circus came through the hometown. He asked if they had a job for him. They said they did. He joined the circus. But after a couple of years of sleeping with elephants every night, he decided that wasn't the right job. He was sort of wandering the country. John and Marcy talked about Steve and decided maybe he could come live with them for a time. Maybe he could sort of get himself together. He could work in the construction business. He was now only 19. So he came to California, moved into their home. They explained to him how they wanted him to have the best family he had ever had in his life. People who loved him, wanted good things to come to him, would help good things come to him. It was only a matter of time. They found him in lie after lie after lie. And though they had told him clearly that they were not going the way of his father and stepfather, that there would be no alcohol and drugs in their home, they found that he was stashing bottles of vodka in various places in their house. Marcy and John talked about it. That night they told Steve, you got to go. We're not going to have this in our house. You'll have to go. He packed up what few things he had and went out into the night. Marcy said she knew John didn't forget Steve, nor did she. Weeks passed. She got to feeling really bad about what had happened to him. She picked up the phone and called him. When he answered, she said, Steve, Marcy. There was silence at the other end of the line. She said, Steve, I'm really sorry. This ended so, so poorly. John and I really had great hopes for you. We wanted you to come into our home. We wanted you to work with your brother in his business. He felt there was a bright new life for you here with us in California. I just wanted you to know I'm sorry it didn't go well. There was another long pause, and then Steve said, Well, at least you're not screaming at me. I thought you'd be screaming at me. I really messed up. And he hung up the phone. Several years passed, and they got a call from Steve. He was now living in Ohio, had a good job, had met a young woman. They decided they loved each other. They were about to be married in a church. They wanted John and Marcy to come, wanted John to be the best man. And Marcy said when the wedding was over, Steve found a time to come over to the two of them and say, I didn't realize how wonderful it was to live in your home until it was too late. I'm really sorry. I want you to know you did the right thing. And the next few months were really hard. But I decided you were absolutely right. I didn't want to go the way of our father. Judgment 
sometimes to an individual, sometimes to a family, sometimes to a city, a state, a country. Sooner or later, God said, guess what? I've had enough. I'm not putting this out any longer. Second thing, Amos says to these people of Israel, I notice you still observe the new moon and the Sabbath, but you sit around thinking about doing business. Now, we know that ancients had been keen observers of stars, sun, and moon, and they had discovered that the moon goes through phases. There's a time when it's fully lighted to them, times when it's completely dark. And halfway between the fully lighted and the fully dark, it's about half-lighted. And that half-light to fully dark, half-light to fully bright, seven days. And from fully bright to fully bright again, 28 days. And calendars began. The Jews observed every seventh day, and they also observed every 28th day as a new beginning, a new moon. How important was Sabbath observance? Well, when the northern tribes were absolutely demolished by the Assyrians, the southern tribes would survive for another 150 years, and then the dreaded Babylonians would march on them, thoroughly destroy their city, the temple, the royal residence, kill all the sons of the king, then gouge the king's eyes out and force march them away to Babylon. The northern tribes ceased to exist as a separate people. They were completely assimilated into the Assyrian culture. The priests were trying to figure out how can we keep our people different from the Babylonians? How can we be different? They decided on three primary things. We will keep circumcising our baby boys on the eighth day after they're born. Second, we will eat kosher. We will not eat like the Babylonians. We will eat kosher. And third, we will do Sabbath observance. That's how important it was. And here Amos was saying to the people of the north, you're not observing Sabbath. Oh, you don't work, but you think about working. You think about working and making more money and making more money and making more money. You need to think about more important things. At the beginning of summer, there are numerous articles in magazines and newspapers about ways to spend your summer, and there are always articles about books to read. What books should you read this summer? And I was reading one of those articles about children's books, and it recommended The Rescuers. Gee, that's not a new book. The Rescuers was written in 1959. It was made into a movie. It's about three mice who are in a Norwegian prison trying to get the keys so they can release a poet improperly imprisoned. And these three mice are trying to figure out, is it really worth it to take on that huge cat down the hall to get that poet out of prison? And one of them gives the key line that I don't think most children would get. The key line in the rescuers is, we need poets, for they find in the commonplace something astonishing, and in the astonishing, something quite ordinary. The Sabbath reminds us that every day is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in this day. 
And don't get too carried away with the spectacular. It will get you in lots of trouble. Number three, there will come a time when people will hunger for the word of the Lord, Amos. You tell them there will come a time when they will hunger for the word of the Lord and they will not hear it. Sometimes you have to go way back to remember when you last heard it. Brian Doyle recently wrote for the Christian Century magazine. I read his article. He was remembering the summer he was 13. He said, when I was 13 years old, my mother and daddy decided I need to become more like a man, and they packed me off to two weeks at a Boy Scout camp. Seemed to me it was set down in the middle of the biggest woods I'd ever seen in my life. There were boys there who could swim. I could barely keep my head above water. There were boys there who could row canoes. I could barely keep mine from tipping over. There were boys there that could shoot an arrow into the bullseye of that target almost every time I was trying to keep it from knocking my ear off with the string. There were boys there who could take a compass and follow a course into those deep, dark woods and come right out where they were supposed to, and I'd get lost every time. But I had a patrol. I had a patrol of boys who could have put me down, made fun of me, as many do when they're teenagers. Instead, they would find me in those woods, straighten my glasses, wipe the sweat out of my eyes, and say, hold it this way, go that way. They always helped me find the way home. I had one chance for one merit badge. All these other guys were making lots of merit badges, I had a chance for one. If I could build a fire and cook a stew. I got the fire built. I put the right ingredients in, water, started cooking it. I watched it carefully. And my patrol circled around that fire, and they ate that stew as if it was the greatest thing they'd ever put in their mouths. I was enjoying the praise so much. I didn't notice that the Eagle Scout in my patrol had already gone outside the circle and was scrubbing the soot off of all those pans until they sparkled. I tell you, in that patrol, I experienced kindness and I experienced helpfulness. Number four, Amos said, The Lord told me, he is not forgetting. He is not forgetting. You're supposed to be selling people an ephah of grain, about the size of a bushel basket. You're making the ephah smaller. They're paying for a bushel, they're getting less. You make the shekel too heavy. When they're trying to sell you something, that weight demands they put more and more and more. You're cheating them when they buy, and you're cheating them when they sell. Your scales are not accurate. Furthermore, when the chaff has blown away from the wheat, you go sweep up all that filth and dirt and mix it in with the grain you're going to sell them. The Lord said he will not forget. When you mistreat his poor, voiceless, powerless, he will not forget. 
we're supposed to end with good news. And so the good news is, neither does he forget acts of kindness. Never does he forget acts of kindness. Vasily Grossman was a Soviet war correspondent during World War II. He's a very old man now. But he's written that as an old man, I've tried to remember some of the greatest acts of kindness I ever saw. I remember one day he said when my people had finally routed the Germans from our country. We suffered more casualties, he said, than any other country in that war. The Germans were hated. Finally, we were taking the last of their prisoners of war out of our country. And a bedraggled, emaciated young German soldier slumped down on a rock wall waiting for the guards to take him on. I saw an old Russian woman pick up a brick and start to draw back to throw it into the side of his head. I could see the hatred in her eyes. And then I saw her eyes change. I don't know. Maybe she thought, this young man has a mother somewhere who's worried about him. Maybe his general, maybe his colonel, maybe his sergeant told him, you're going now into Russia. I don't know. I saw her put the brick down, reach in her basket, and give him a piece of bread. I tell you what I saw one night at Birkenau. The trains were coming in, Jews being unloaded. There on the Judenrampa, they were motioning simply left or right. Those who were young enough, strong enough, who looked like they might be able to work a month or two before they would be gassed and burned, motion one way. Little ones, old ones, weak ones, sick ones, motion immediately to the gas chambers. I saw a young couple, strong, healthy, good-looking. They had a small boy in their arms. Those guards took that child out of their arms, motioned these two to the left, and motioned that child to the right. He was so little, he was hysterical. I saw a woman alone, a physician. She saw that child. She walked over, caught him by the hand, spoke to him, and led him into the chamber. She went herself so he would not have to go alone. He will never, ever forget. Not ever. Ever.